Welcome to STEM Unplugged, a monthly podcast designed to help you learn about STEM initiatives and to help advance STEM awareness. Now here's your host, Kelly Green. Welcome to STEM Unplugged. I am Kelly Green, the Chief Operations Officer of SciTech Institute, a collaborative nonprofit organization making STEM connections in Arizona and beyond. Tonight, we're live virtually, and I have my (laughs) co-host, Arizona Chief Science Officer of the Year, Valentina, joining me right now. She's just logging in. Valentina, do you want to say hi? Great to be on. All right. Welcome. So in this episode of STEM Unplugged, we will explore computer science and celebrate Computer Science Education Week. CS Ed Week is an annual call to action to inspire K-12 through students to learn computer science, advocate for equity in computer science education, and celebrate the contributions of students, teachers, and partners to the field. Dave Bowman, Provost of the University of Advancing Technology, and Chuck Vermillion, CEO of Accountability. Thanks for joining us for STEM Unplugged. So well, be here. welcome to the Good show, to both here. of you. Dr. Bowman, would you please share a little bit about UAT and the programs you offer? Sure thing. Uh, UAT is kind of a special beast. We are a small private college that really just focuses on STEM programs. And so it's it's imagine going to like that, you know, that, that Midwest kind of college experience, although we're in Arizona, you know, with the quad and the dorms and things like that. But everything that we do is STEM related. So it's robotics, it's cyber. It's software development, it's data science, AI, it, you know, it's embedded systems, it's game studies. Uh, it's very, uh, what we do here, it's really kind of fun, is that, you know, all the students, you know, are here because they love building with tech. All the faculty are here because we're the same way. We look pretty much like our students when we were their age. And we've constructed a, a curriculum that's really all about how do you learn how to build with tech and solve puzzles with tech? And how do you talk about it and communicate it really well? And so when students come here, you know, they they spend their, you know, their their undergraduate education, their graduate education, building as many cyber defenses, robots, data sciences, you know, smart devices as we can possibly get. And it's usually a ton of them. And we try to have students build a complete version of whatever they're studying a couple times every semester. And so by the time they graduate, they're very, very good at it. That's awesome. I know Valentina and I have both been on campus uh, quite a bit with the CSO program, and we just really appreciate you being here as one of our guests tonight. What about uh, Chuck? Could you tell us a little bit more about accountability? Sure. Accountability is a managed services and managed security services provider, so typically called MSP and MSSP, here, located here in Scottsdale. Um, we started in um, 2016, late in 2016, and have been go- going on s- strong since that time. Uh, work with companies, um, uh, quite honestly, across the valley, but as well. Uh, nationwide, and I have a couple of international customers as well that we provide um, both IT services and cybersecurity services to these customers. Well, we appreciate you being on as well. I know, I don't know, Valentina, if your mic is working right at the beginning, so maybe we'll have you um, get ready to start to ask your question. But again, thank you both for joining us. We're excited to talk a little bit about cybersecurity, the future of computer science, and celebrating our partnerships with SciTech Institute. Valentina, I know you wanted to start off the next question. Is let's talk cyber cybersecurity. So, is it an attractive career path, and what is a typical day for an analyst? Um, and let's start with accountability. 
So, uh, yeah, thanks for sending me up first to the lions. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, so cybersecurity is really an interesting, um, an interesting space, uh, I think, in today's world. And in part because, you know, it, back in the day, and I've been doing the Spanish services stuff for, since uh, my first firm that I started back in 1997. And um, in, in cybersecurity, it wasn't really a big issue back then. And today, it's it's almost the most prevalent issue that companies are facing. The number of attacks that are occurring daily. You know, there are websites that list uh, that list each of the attacks. But anymore, it's to me. I tell customers that there's two type of companies: ones that have been attacked and ones that are going to be attacked. And I really believe that it. The advent of uh, bots and ransomware as a service. I mean, it's ridiculous that companies just need to be prepared because um, if you're unprepared, it's almost inevitable that at some point uh, someone's going to, to, well, probably now they're already trying to breach you. At some point they're going to be effective. And it's just a question of how much you can limit their damage. I think that's a great point, right? And Dave, you're in the world of preparing the future, you know, tech workforce. So, you know, what, how is it affecting UAT and the programs that you're developing? Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is, we started teaching cybersecurity topics right around the late, you know, right around the Y2K thing. And I remember when we first started talking about it, people didn't understand what it was. I mean, it was a really small set of people who, who understood. And now it's become, everybody's worried about it. And it's become mainstream. And at least now we know, like, you know, high school counselors talk about it and people kind of realize it's a career. And so we're seeing plenty of students heading towards it. And that's healthy because it's not going away. Uh, and this idea, you know, there's just so many different flavors of it now. Like we're on the UAT side, you know, it's gotten to the point where we have groups of students and, and programs that focus entirely on essentially organizational mitigation, you know, and, 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 and recovery procedures and secure procedures and things like that. Then there's a whole nother line of students who are approaching it from the software end. Like, like what kind of, you know, if, if, if you're expecting to have have folks someplace, probably overseas, coming after your country with AI-based bots, how can you build software that uses AI to defend against that? And, and essentially, it kind of winds up being, like, oddly enough, it's almost like one of those computer games, those, you know, like Age of Empires games, <laughs> where you got people on both sides, and you put your little automated minions out, they just do their thing. But it's become very much that kind of a deal. And you got other, other students who just focus up on the forensic side of things, because the evidentiary piece is a big deal. And it just keeps growing. And uh, uh, Chuck's right. I mean, it's uh, it, it has become just a part of life. I mean, as much as having cloud services is a part of life, you know, and, and and I think, you know, knowing that, you know, the mercifully COVID hit during a time and we were able to all switch to digital and do things like meetings like this. But it all means that each of us walking around with five to 10 connected devices on us. And yeah. that's going to require tons of security. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, and it, it's caused the, the, when people went to work from home, right, it has exploded the, the extent of the network, right? No longer mm -hmm. is it just companies' facilities that are interconnected, but now it's a company's facilities and it's exponentially larger employee base that are all connecting, any of which are uh, potential targets, right? So the, the, yeah. the, the map, right, the, the addressable yeah. map is much larger today than it was before COVID. Well, and if you think yeah. about that too, right, that's, that's all about the landscape. So when you talk 20 years ago, you know, the idea of 
what is cybersecurity and the basic understanding and, ooh, being a hacker, right? Like the idea of that was kind of a, you know, crazy job. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as Valentina mentioned, is it an attractive career? And, you know, what should those students interested in cybersecurity, especially here in Arizona, we have over 5,000 open positions in cybersecurity. So what do we say to, you know, middle school, high school students to kind of get them interested, either attending UAT or potentially working at uh, accountability? Like, what what do you say to those students, Dave? Well, you led with the best part. Uh, it is like, <laughs> yeah. like, like, there's about 5,000 jobs that cannot be filled because there's a shortage. Yeah. And, and as the topic gets bigger, that number isn't getting smaller. And it really won't. I mean, you could tell anybody at the high school level or anybody who's looking at a career change that you know, the the need for people to secure information is only going to rise as we rely on internets more and we increase the number of devices that we have that are connected. And so from a job security place, you know, you're, you're there I mean, for quite a long time. And the other thing I would say is it's interesting work because this is not a field that looks the same now that it looked three years ago, and it's going to look right. different in three more years. I mean, as things like 5G rollout that's going to change the contour of the kinds of devices that connect. And so that's going to change the rules. As AI becomes a bigger piece of the landscape, that's going to change the rules. As the, you know, as as areas that we never thought of before, like you mentioned ransomware before. And I remember I got uh, I was talking to somebody you know, not that long ago about ransomware, and they didn't believe it was real. And I'm like, no, no, really, it's very, very real that if you are a mid-sized medical facility or a school district, you know, you, you know, it's a very real uh, proposition that someone's going to try to access your deal, get your, you know, personal information of your students and your staff or your, or your patients and ransom you to get it back. And you may wind up saying yes, because the cost to not do it is too high. At least you never say yes. Uh, but it's a, uh, <laughs> but inevitably everybody Call Dr. Does. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting. Yeah. It's a, uh, uh, it's not boring. I mean, this is a field that's going to be very changing for a long time. It, it's, it, you know, yeah, that, that I would, I would say almost anybody, um, especially people like if you like solving puzzles and you're, and you're able to focus a bit, you know, and, and you're able to kind of think things through and you like to apply it. it it's, it's a great field for people like that. I would agree. I, you know, and it's, it's interesting. I, um, I have a niece that uh, just started college and uh, she wanted to get into um, crime scene investigation, right? And, oh, yeah. and I think a lot of that is the result of the CSI, whatever. Absolutely, yep. right? CSI X, and um, and it's interesting because um, I think the next wave of CSI, as opposed to being physical uh, physical crimes, or, or should be you know cybersecurity crimes, right? Mm-hmm. Like C, you know, CI, uh, CIS cybersecurity, because um, or sounds it's like just, a new TV, just, TV show. Well, let's pitch it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, but it's show. really interesting. You talked about the forensics, right? And, right. You know, there's there's a, a number of stages that are involved in um, in a breach, right? The first is the initial the initial attempts of of penetration, and in the time between when they initially break into your environment, uh, when they initially get access, until they actually decide to take action, mm-hmm. might be six months, nine months, a year. Mm-hmm. Um, they're looking for the right moment to inflict the most amount of damage. And typically now, you know, the majority of the attacks, some of them are just for fun, but the majority of attacks are because someone is trying to um, get money out of you. And mm-hmm. so they're waiting for the right time. 
And then once that attack occurs, then, then come in the experts to try to understand what happened, how did it happen? Like how much data did they get? Did they get data that's damaging or is the data not damaging? And ultimately there is a conversation with, should we pay the ransom or can we live without the ransom, without the data or the systems that were impacted? And then all of the people came, come in and say, not only do they try to figure out what happened and what data do they get, but how do we prevent this from occurring again? So there's multi, and each of those are kind of unique disciplines. And so there are firms and people that specialize in every single one of them. And it really provides a very interesting picture. Sometimes when you see like a crime photo or a crime scene and it kind of sends that chill up your spine. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, uh, we had a customer that, a new customer that had an issue with their uh, Office 365 account. So it's Microsoft Office. And somebody had actually done a phishing attempt in this particular case, had someone in accounts payable click on a bad email, right? That was phishing for information. Uh, clicked on that email, that person then was able to capture their credentials, oh, no. get into the system. And then what do they do? Well, they go in and they set up auto forwarding rules in the email mm-hmm. so that it automatically forwards emails that mention invoicing or payables or dollars or whatever to their email address. And you don't even know it exists, right? Some It's like somebody has tapped your phone and you don't know it. And they're looking at every single email. And so there are there are tool sets that you can use that go out then and examine all of that stuff. And I saw when we did that, we isolated to that person. We were able to see the moment that occurred, right? The moment that that forwarding rule was set up. And it kind of like it gave me those chills. It's like I just it's it's evidence. It's like a snapshot of the picture of the crime, right? Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. crazy. So Valentina becomes. Um, as technology becomes more advanced, protecting data can definitely become more of a challenge. Oh, it's, yeah. Well, first of all, the data, you know, there's penalties depending on the type of data, right? PII, uh, HIPAA data, PCI data, like there's, and, and if you don't protect that data, there are, you know, potentially really large fines for that. We had known of a company that had a PC stolen and it had PCI data on it mm. and the PC was unencrypted. And so that company had to go through years worth of work just to prove to the federal government that that data hadn't been used. And it cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars just for one PC. So to all of our listeners, please uh, understand this is a serious topic <laughs> and, <laughs> and take note, right, that if there's a moment where you're kind of wondering, is my stuff secure? Are we following protocol? Do we have any you know, specific plans for our company or personally, right? So let's talk personal security. And, you know, especially now that we are working from home or from anywhere that has Wi-Fi, what do people need to pay attention to to make sure they protect themselves from any cybersecurity issues? Maybe we'll, well start. You know, I mean, yeah. the, the thing about that is, you know, the most secure computer is a useless one. You know, I mean, you know, like if you, if you unplug it and <laughs> turn your Wi-Fi off, you're very, very secure. And you can go back to like... Sounds like you know, my like, word processor like, in college. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we can't live that way, you know, and, and increasingly we can't live that way. And so what you have to understand is that, you know, part, you know, it's, it's kind of like driving a car. There's always a risk when you drive a car. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with uh, working on the internet. There's always a risk involved. It's about managing the risk and, and, and being smart about what you're doing and what you care about. And one thing I tell a lot of individuals is that, you know, for good or for ill, a lot of times uh, uh, criminals aren't after you personally. 
you know, it's like our personal information isn't often that interesting and we don't typically have that much money that they could access. And so we're not a juicy a target as, as a hospital or a school. Makes sense. Um, so that's good to know. doesn't mean you don't get hit, but you don't have to lay awake at, at night, you know, getting too fearful about it. But some of the real common sense things you can do are like two-factor identification. I mean, that's, that's you know, two-factor is, a, you know, if, if it's ever offered to you, it's a simple technique that is very, very important. Yeah, um, and, and, you know, and, and taking advantage of that and using that, especially when it gets anywhere near accounts you care about, like bank statements and things like that, or insurance, like that's important. And the other credit thing to cards, do is just yeah. credit cards. Yeah, that's real. That's a big one. And, and, and tied with that is, is as crazy as guy just, I, I watched some of these emails come in this last weekend on my account, um, is that is realized that no business sends you an email that says there's a big problem. Click here. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, they, they don't do that. Have you noticed an uh, influx have, in the, like the last three weeks? I have noticed so many in the last month, like, whoa, they are trying hard. Yeah. Yeah. Now I will say like, if anybody hears this and, and, and you're, if you're unsure, like if, if you get an email from your, your bank, your phone company, your cable company, your credit cards or whatever, you know, don't reply at all to those emails, you know, go log in, you know, using your account information to, you know, your account and check there. Or if you're really concerned, just call them, you know, call the 1-800 number and say, is there a problem with my account? You know, that's the secure way to check. But, but I will guarantee you, and some of them are amazing. I mean, these, these schemes that come in your email, I mean, they, they will have the logos. They yep. will look incredibly yeah, real. It's like, they just, no businesses don't work that way. You know, we, uh, there's one of the uh, popular, um, adage I use now, I learned, I heard, and, and I love it, is cyber hygiene, right? Practicing good cyber hygiene. Dave just mentioned it. Some of the key things that you can do to help protect yourself personally uh, is, is, is understanding what good cyber hygiene is and then practicing it. So that includes like having strong passwords, um, never giving someone else your password, uh, changing your passwords frequently, right? At, at our company, we change our passwords every, I think, three months, two or three months. Uh, and it's set up as a policy in our system so that everybody's forced to change their passwords. Uh, never click on an email unless you know who the provider, who, who sent you the email. That email phishing used to be a relatively small percent of the breaches, but today about 80% of all breaches come through email phishing attempts where somebody asks you to click on something, you click on it, it gets them access. They're in, then able to do key loggers to try to understand kind of what, you, what you're typing so they can catch your passwords. So it's, it's just a tremendous idea. <laughs> Never, you know, you don't want to click on an email that you don't understand. Even though, you know, we have um, at, at our company, we resell products that help train users um, all, the, all these good habits. Even then, I think the statistics are that 25% of all people will still click on a bad email, mm. even if they get trained, right? 25% mm. of the time. And so that's really a challenge for an employer or, or an individual, because the chances are at some point you're going to do it. And then you don't even know. You don't know it's a bad email, right? You don't know until something happens. Yeah. Well, that even makes it, it's probably why uh, these schemes exist is that those are pretty good numbers. Yeah, that's I mean, a lot. <laughs> you know, like, like I mean, if, if, if it's a numbers game, and you've got access to a, a, a spider bot that is just pushing emails out. And you wait know a minute, wait a minute, Dave. Four. You said spider bot. I think that has, Valentina, is that AI? What is that, Valentina? 
have to do with AI and what, what would be some of your thoughts on AI? An AI? It's well, tell uh, us what is a spider bot first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've heard of a bot, but what's a spider bot? That's creepy. <laughs> oh, I was interviewing with Mir Valentino. Uh, it is kind of a creepy sound. Actually, I think, it's, I, think it's, I, I like it that way. It's, it's this idea that there are AIs that just work their way through the network node after node after node, and they just kind of, and the AI it just marches its way through. And it's just, you know, it just kind of expands outward um, and, and climbs along the spider. I, I, I don't know the origin of it. I just, but I tell you, in my, my deep geeky past, I think of the old original Tron movie. In the original Tron movie, when they were inside of Tron, they used to have these attack things that looked like, like digital spiders that would climb along the network. And I've always assumed the term meant someone watched that and they associated the term with that. There may be a better reason, but it's, but it's that. It's just this idea that these are AIs that aren't necessarily targeted at you. They're just going out and they're in play in the internet and they're just expanding out, doing sweeps and seeing you know, and, and, and seeing what they can get into with what, what bites. Chuck can probably be a more specific and less oh. version of that. <laughs> He's like, not well, today. I, I, I have an accounting education, so. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, let's talk about protection. background. He said geeky <laughs> background you, you with accounting, right? That's good to know because so many students of ours are interested in math and they don't mm. realize how much mm. in play that really helps them in the computer science you know, industry, right? So having an understanding in that background of, you know, not just accounting, but Dave, what, I'm not sure what your geeky background is. Now I'm curious, but you know, Chuck, how has that helped you lead an organization that's all about computer science understanding? So that's a good question. You know, I, I got an accounting degree. I went to, um, you know, I'll do a plug. I went to the university of Illinois, uh, in, uh, Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, really good accounting school. And, um, your dream when you're in accounting is always to go, go to work for the big accounting firms. And I did, I worked at Ernst & Young for Oh, Ernst and Woody at the time, but I worked for Ernst and Young for 12 years. Um, nice. The last two were here in the Valley. The first 10 were in uh, St. Louis. And I only spent about a year and a half on the audit side. And what I found for me was that I liked, I liked the relationship of numbers. I, I, I loved the concept of accounting. And, and, and by the way, I always wanted to have my own business. And so I knew that accounting would be good if you have your own business, just to be able to not rely on somebody else to do your books or, or to tell you what you're doing from a financial perspective, but able to understand it yourself. I was a terrible auditor. I just didn't really like it. it was I, I'll be honest, I was bad. And I just, you know, it was so much detail and I had to go, you know, follow that. And, you know, there's some people that really thrive on it. I probably, if I'd have given it a long enough time, um, I would have enjoyed it more at the, at the, like a partner level, at the highest level, because you're not doing so much of the detailed stuff. But what accounting allowed me to do, and specifically audit, is how to build financial statements from the ground up. Mm. And, and so when I ultimately got into consulting and then used those consulting skills to build a business, um, uh, I have found that um, I'm a much better accountant now because I understand mm -hmm. the relationships of the various accounts to each other. And I can read a, a, a financial statement of P&L or a balance sheet and understand kind of what, what the implications are. And so it made, it makes me a lot better CEO. I, I would, I really find it, I feel bad for uh, other CEOs who don't have that skill set just because you're always relying on somebody else. And I'm just not good at that. So yeah, I'm really glad that that was kind of the path that I chose. Valentina. But it's, I think accounting is a tremendous, I really think if, if you're in the financial area, you know, finance, finance is a good subject, but accounting is also kind of the core of, 
of all the the financial world for sure. Yeah, we talked about with the CSOs. Like definitely make sure if your your path doesn't have to be straight, right? I love that mm-hmm. you have a diverse background and you're now, you know, you could mentor some of our students just in the leadership skills of being able to take what you're good at, what you've learned and how to accept failure. We talk about that all the time. <laughs> you openly said you weren't good. <laughs> that's that's a big deal for some people to, you know, say like, hey, I, I wasn't good at it. So I changed. I think that's really powerful. So thank you. Yeah. And it was probably more that I didn't like it. Yeah. Right. And I think and and that's and I think that's a really big lesson for students is that you're not going to like all subjects. Right. And just right. because you don't like a single subject doesn't mean that you can't work in that field or a related field. Right. I just think the best way to be really successful in a career is to work in a career that you really like, because if you don't like that career, you're just not going to do well. Right. You're going to be miserable all the time. Get in, you know, do something you like. I agree. You know, you said something, I think it's like it, you, you don't see it when you're in, you know, in school, but you may not like a topic while you're in school, but it's only because you don't have a real use for it yet. Right. And, and I, that's something I tell students all the time is like, like, look, you know, you, you may not love this right now, write it out as best you can, but keep a piece of it in the back of your head because you're going to be amazed how many of these topics, once you get into a certain role and you have a need for it, how now you can actually kind of get into it. Yeah, and, and, and there's a, there's any number of things that I do now that I, I really kind of like that I had no taste for when I was an undergraduate or high school student, uh, you know, but it's just, it's just having that place to play with it. And I know schools all the time are trying to find ways to bridge, you know, that, you know, like a student learning it, that here's how it's going to work. Sometimes you can, sometimes you just can't, you just got to trust, but they look, you know, what the way the world feels right now isn't the way it's going to feel when you're actually in it. And when you're there, a lot of things get really interesting. Uh, yeah, and you, you you hear a term or two. Oh, sops sorry. sorry. I was just gonna add, yeah, it's incredible how you can employ uh, math to various aspects of your life. Um, oh, no yeah. matter what you're in, yeah, it definitely applies to uh, a lot of different jobs. Yeah, and well, you know, on that, and that's changing. Uh, it's interesting if you were to ask, like when I was uh, an engineering student back a long time ago, it, everything then was the calculus tree. You know, it was all, it was all the algebra, trigonometry, calculus, differential equations. That was, that was, that was the mountain. What I think is interesting now is it's certainly important, but you're seeing a different focus kicking in and you're seeing how statistics is becoming more and more of a topic. And interestingly, like the, like, like financial math is more of a topic, but uh, the, you know, you asked me earlier about like, what do I see with AI? And I would say, one of the things that's, there are two things about AI that are really important. One, you look up in five years from now and the majority of tech you work with is going to have AI in it someplace. And to understand AI, it's all stats. I mean, it, and it's not even like really hard stats, but it's like understanding how statistics works will help you understand how AI works. And if you understand that, then you can wield AI to create things that never were there before. And that's incredibly cool. But yeah, math is changing. It's becoming more important just in a different way. Yeah, I think that's a valuable point, right? Yeah, it's a, uh, now, uh, for you, what kind of math do you study? Now I'm uh, learning algebra too. And okay. um, I, I think you made a really good point how um, there's a different way that we um, employ or use math, but we still, it never goes away. Even in prehistoric civilizations, you still keep on using math and just in different ways. Well, like, for example, in your, have you hit vectors yet in Algebra 2? Yes. Like, vectors 
are throughout so many different applications, uh, especially by vector math plays out. It's probably of like all the different, when I was an undergraduate, I started out as a computer science student focusing on uh, graphics and, and it's all vectors. I mean, I, it was just all that vector math plays out over and over and over again. Um, it's incredibly important stuff. And, and so it, it's interesting how, you know, like these little tidbits of topics, you know, like become something that's like, oh, no, you're going to find yourself in life. That, people used to always joke, I never use that math. And, and like, there's pieces of math you do actually use all the time. Absolutely. And algebra is one of them. Yeah, I, I, it's funny you say, I think you're in eighth grade. Is that right, Valentina? Uh, yes, I'm currently in eighth grade. Okay. So I was a senior in high school before I took, or junior in high school before I took algebra two. So you're way ahead of me. You'd yeah. be way more successful than me. You know, but it's true. I, I, um, uh, I, I use algebra almost every day. And, and a lot of people didn't like, you know, take algebra and they didn't like it. It doesn't work and doesn't work for them. And it just makes life easier when you do, <laughs> to be honest yeah. with you. I wasn't really good at the higher ed math, but, you know, that algebra was, you know, and it's interesting. My, uh, the teacher that was by far the hardest in my high school. Uh, was the algebra teacher, Mr. Imany. And, uh, but believe it or not, he's the one teacher I remember. He really yeah. rolled it into us. And that's a great and I'll point. I'll never forget algebra. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, he was harsh. thinking about those, you know, tough teachers who, you know, push you to succeed. I think the CSOs sometimes say that about me of like, oh my goodness, here comes Kelly. <laughs> She's going to make us do this thing again. Like Valentina, you're going to host this show with me. Right. And, you know, there's this idea of you're going to ask some questions, you're going to engage. But then on the outside of it, Valentino, what do you get from that, you know, extra mentorship and the push to allow you to fail, but the soft skills that you're learning as a CSO, how does that play into what you see the change in, in your education? And then maybe we'll talk to both Chuck and Dave, how valuable it is at, at the next two levels. Challenges. Uh, through these challenges, I feel like I've um, really learned how to persevere and even in the uh, academic environment, I think that's a very important skill. So I think no matter uh, where you are, um, having the ability to persevere and fail fast and fail forward is definitely very uh, efficient and important. Excellent. I, I'm curious about what you think, Valentina. How is STEM education, how is education going to change if things go back to quote unquote normal and then Dave, how do you think it's going to change, you know, at the, at the higher level, how has, what has the impact been? And then of course, Chuck, what do you need for your new employees and accountability to be prepared for this ever changing, you know, environment, but let's start with Valentina. What do you think is going to change or how's life going to be different now that we've adapted to uh, virtual education? Uh, given the current situation, we've definitely started using technology more. So um, probably when if things were going back to normal, um, as you said, um, I definitely think we'd start using technology a lot more, even in the classroom environment. Um, since we've been using all these platforms um, pretty much daily, so I think we'll start using technology a lot more um, in the classrooms too, awesome. and more hands-on activities and mm -hmm. things like that. What about you, Dave? You know, I think she, she Valentina taps into the, the the thing that's been great about being virtual is you begin to think about the technology platform as like this is where you can connect with people 24 7 365 and you can see the resources and they're all there. Um, 
But then what you want to ultimately be able to do is get your hands on the tech. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that when we come out from the other side of this, you know, I think we're going to see far more classes where it'll be completely normal for students to, to, to message their instructors, you know, you know, at all kinds of crazy times with a messaging platform, because that's when they're working and, and we'll figure out the bounds, but, but there's a piece of it. That's kind of cool. Like I've, I've seen some professors tell tales about how, you know, it's 1130 at night and a student quickly messages, says, Hey, they were hung up on this idea. And, 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 and the professor said, okay, I'm not quite asleep yet. They would type an answer and say, now leave me alone. I'm going to bed. Uh, <laughs> but, but you're seeing, like, I compare that to like when I went to school and I would get jammed on a problem and I could either just muscle it out all night or, you know, you know, I'd have to wait until I could get an appointment with the professor and go to campus or see something like that. Now, you know, if you're just this bit stuck, it's just the right little resource from a peer or from internet or from a message to your instructor can keep you moving forward. And if you don't spend a bunch of time jammed up, you know, you suddenly start to see, you know, students like Valentina who are in eighth grade and they're doing high level math, you know, students will get a lot further. And then I think when we get back face to face, what we're going to find is that our face to face time is going to be about the things that you can only really do well face to face, which is things like get your hands on a tech, sit around a table and, and build something. Um, right. Or just establish the connection. Like, you know, we talk an awful lot with the professors is that, you know, the, the lecture still has a place. You're just doing it differently because they're going to get the information on their own. What your job is, is to actually weave it together into a story, mm-hmm. you know. And so, so the class becomes, even a math class or whatever, becomes like this 30 to maybe 45 minute block of time. I say, I'm going to tell you a story that maybe begins with, something that was challenging and here's how it unfolded and here's how this information and all this information from your other different classes kind of weaves together. And at the end of it, this is the solution that matters to you and to your future. Now go and build with it. And I think that becomes kind of what the future of education looks like. And some of that can be done virtually, but some of it really is great when you can do it face to face with a human who can listen and talk to you. Yeah. The interpersonal communication is is a little bit of a challenge that, you know, some people are facing, especially, you know, very extrovert individuals who really need that group setting for motivation. But I do believe (laughs) that instantaneous, I had this thought, what do you think? Maybe Mm -hmm. it's really even supported our teamwork. I feel like here at SciTech Institute, we've had an opportunity to move quicker through systems and management and structure suggestions because we could connect a little bit quicker and more people are paying attention to their online, you know, email or whatever we're working with. So I, I absolutely agree, Dave. What about, what about you, Chuck? What do you think about any changes that have happened at accountability or, you know, what you're looking for from your new staff members potentially? (laughs) Well, yeah, a couple of things. First of all, I, all I can say is thank goodness for tools like Microsoft Teams or Zoom. Mm -hmm. Right, because the the abilities to collaborate with your peers without them, like if yeah. the, if COVID would have hit ten years ago, oh man, different yeah. story. Oh, it would have been really hard. To, it would have been painful, painful. And <laughs> and you know, and I think so. This this is going to show the non tech kind of accountant side of me, but um, <laughs> but you're going to see. You know, it's interesting because you see how much more productive we are because we can see each other, look each other in the face, even though it's it's you know an electronic version of you, but we, it's so much more effective because you can see people's reactions and you can understand without them giving verbal feedback as to whether they understand mm-hmm. it or agree with it. 
uh, or disagree with it. And it just makes uh, communication so much more effective. So I, um, prior to COVID, we, we uh, moved out of our offices on March 17th. And we made a pact amongst my management team that when we do meetings, we're going to do them on Teams. And when we're Teams is a, is Microsoft's version of, of Zoom. So we're going to be using Teams. And up until that point, I had never gone on video in Teams, right? I just don't like, I'm very critical of my voice and my, in my looks. <laughs> you look and, great. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Oh gosh. You sound great uh, anyway. on the radio too. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but so we made it, we made this pact. <laughs> we made this pact that we're going to uh, go on video when we're on teams because of that. And I find it being a much more, you know, really, really helpful when, when in communications, it's easier for me to stay in tune. My mind tends to wander at shiny objects a little bit. And when I get, you know, physical, visual stimulation, I, I don't have that. That said, um, I look for the day when, when the, you know, hopefully the vaccine is, is really soon and we all get vaccinated and we can get back to work. Um, and I think that we're going to find that we're even more productive when we're working together mm-hmm. because we can have those aha moments, you know, those cases where you just poke your head into somebody's cube or office and ask them a quick question and you don't have to send them an email or a text or an IM. You're able to get it real time and you're able to collaborate more. And I do think that we're, we're much better together than we are um, virtually. But this is, a, this is a pretty good solution for us now. And I'm thankful. That, I'm thankful that we have it for sure. Yeah, I really think that it's um, created quite a dynamic. I don't know, Valentine, if you want to talk about a little bit of how it's changed the landscape for chief science officers to collaborate. But I have noticed students from you know Oregon jumping on a chat with students in mm-hmm. um, Pennsylvania or Florida, and I really think it's given all of us this chance of even though eventually we will be back in person, it gives this extra bonus piece of staying connected where we struggled to get students when we transferred out of Canvas into the Google platform for G Suite, you know, making sure everybody got first connected to the internet and then finally getting to an account. Now, because they're already on the internet, we could just skip to make the account. But I don't know, Valentina, what have you noticed for the CSO program internationally? It's been definitely able to quicken our communication within our global network. As Chuck mentioned, it's definitely not the same uh, in the way because it's not face-to-face interactions, but it's definitely helped uh, quicken the communication and keep us connected uh, in a virtual setting. I agree, though. It's funny that you hadn't used your video before. I I remember the times where we used to use cell phones and I feel like mm. a cell phone call is so random now. Like, why are they <laughs> calling me? Don't we have a Zoom? Like, it's it's an interesting transformation of where we were when I was a child. I couldn't imagine going to school. So kudos to you, Valentina, for, mm. you know, you're taking some high level classes, you're keeping your grades up and you're a CSO and you're just an incredible young lady. So the idea that, not only students, but teachers, but families have had to adapt to, you know, what COVID has really, you know, done to the entire world, but then also to you, Dave, and how it's impacted the university setting and, you know, your students on campus. But Chuck, what a, what a crazy world, how, you know, the whole IT shift and what you do at accountability and, you know, the idea that your landscape is changing too. So I, you know, there's so many different impacts that, you know, the community has faced because of COVID. But 
we are all blessed, you know, to still be here and to be thriving and you know, be able to join the call tonight. So I definitely to see each other's dogs. Yeah, my puppy. Yeah. He, he's, right here. <laughs> he's not. He's not really a puppy. He kind of looks like a horse. <laughs> but uh, yes, Remington is now well known. I've. It, some people talk about their children, but I talk about my dog quite a bit. <laughs> and he's in the studio, so that's awesome. So I just wanted to um, ask you to our listeners. We definitely encourage you to get involved in the STEM community. Maybe you're an industry professional seeking ways to make an impact. Maybe you're a student searching for a mentor like Chuck or Dave or even Valentina. She can mentor you as well. Or maybe you're a community collaborator hoping to meet the right people to help make something happen. So to Dr. Bowman from UAT, what's one way that our listeners could get in contact with you? Oh, uh, the, the easiest way is uh, email me. Uh, I've got a crazy simple email. It's Dave, D-A-V-E, at UAT.edu. Uh, reach out to me anytime. I keep up with my emails pretty quickly, especially since we're talking more on Zoom these days. Uh, but reach out. And I've, I'm more than happy to talk about, obviously, the university and what we do uh, and what we do to work with the community. Because we do a tremendous amount of work in the community uh, to provide STEM resources. Um, you know, we in, in pre-COVID, you know, we were helping the Kyrene District launch um, near space platforms for science experiments. You know, we were hosting thousands of, of middle schoolers for code days. And so if you've got a, a way we can help with that, reach out. Um, but also if you just want to, if, if you're jammed up on uh, where's tech going and is, is AI important or should we worry about cyber or you know, what's IoT all about, or is this thing scary? You know, just uh, reach out. Uh, I'm you know, more than happy. Just like Chuck, we sit with, on the tech council, and we're, we have a pretty good idea of what's going on in Arizona and what the trends are with tech. And more than happy to talk to you. That's great. I think, you know, in celebration of Computer Science Ed Week, I think that's really important that listeners know that there are businesses and communities and universities out there that are willing to engage in important conversations. So I know with Zoom, it'd be great to do a Zoom in on science of, you know, meet Dr. Mm -hmm. Dr. Bowman, right? You're referred to as Dr. B. I know, Valentina, you've been on campus. What are your, we spent some time at UAT and you know, what are your thoughts about the campus? You've met Dr. B in person. Overall, um, if people want to reach out, should they definitely reach out to Dr. B? I it's a great, it's a beautiful campus and uh, offers amazing programs too. Yeah, they're really nice to us. So thank you so much, UAT. We, big shout out. You've been supporting the chief science officers for the six years that the program's been going. So what about you, Chuck? How could our listeners get in touch with you? Very similar to Dave. Uh, email is probably best. It's my email address isn't quite as simple as Dave's, I, but it's chuck.vermillion, which is V-E-R-M-I-L-L-I-O-N at accountability.com and accountability is spelled just like the regular word accountability without the Y. So accountable IT, but it's pronounced accountability. I happy, and I'm happy to respond. I'll respond to every email for sure. That's excellent. I think you both mentioned, I, I know Dave mentioned the Arizona Technology Council. You say you both served on the board. So what are some of your goals for the upcoming year I know you guys have had a couple of board meetings. You're talking about subcommittees. Do you think they would be, you know, other tech companies would be interested in mentoring or, you know, zooming in to classrooms? We have the Arizona SciTech Festival coming up. The 10th season is right around the corner. Do you think that My other... Attendance. I know, right? Other companies or other individuals from the board that would be interested in, you know, reaching out and connecting with these schools or other community members? What yeah. do you think, Dave? No, I mean, the, the Tech Council... It really is about growing the landscape of, of tech in Arizona. 
both from a real grassroots level, you know, like through, you know, through the, the, the SciTech Fest, also through legislature and also through building an ecosystem of mentorship with small emerging tech companies and also just providing connections. And there's, you know, uh, Steve Zylstra does a great job with his team in terms of you know, there's just the umbrella there of different ways that people can connect. Every sector of tech in Arizona is represented on the council and really a pretty big slice of the entire tech community is, is in that umbrella. And so, right, if there's a community group that's looking for some tech support or ideas, you know, I mean, reach out to the tech council or reach out to one of us who are on it. We can get you to the right place easily. Absolutely. Chuck, any thoughts about the board? You, you ditto, you agree? <laughs> I totally agree. You know, the, it, I think the tech uh, council, um, I've been on the tech council for years and years. I actually served on the, as a chairman of the board for a bit. And um, so I've known, known uh, the people at the tech council well. They put out an incredible amount of work with a pretty small staff. So they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're unbelievable, high productive workers for sure. Um, but the whole tech community really understands uh, the challenges we face in tech and the fact that just simply stated there's not enough STEM education in the community. There's not enough uh, qualified graduates. Um, you know, if, in, if there are any parents out there listening um, and, and you're, you want to make sure that you, your kids go through school and hopefully go to college and, and when they get out of college, obviously, hopefully get a job. I think the chances of uh, a child being successful getting a job in the STEM community is a lot better than mm-hmm. than most other areas and and quite frankly the good news is is that they're generally you know very very nice paying jobs um mm-hmm. it not not that that money is the only thing by any stretch of the imagination but but you work for money and and it's nice to have a little extra occasionally as well so they're great jobs and uh and they they're necessary for the community and simply like five thousand open security jobs i mean <laughs> right. you don't need to say yeah. anything more than that right right <laughs> yeah i agree and i think there's so much to be said about the work that's being done by the Arizona Technology Council. And obviously there are, there were the Arizona Technology Council Foundation known as SciTech Institute and Steve and Karen Wiki, who co-host the AZ TechCast on Business Radio X. Um, Definitely shout out to them. Shout out to all of the support that we, you know, partner with the Tech Council because we are the 5013C. But it's incredible to see the work that you are and everybody in the tech council is putting into awareness and education. So um, I wanted to thank you both for joining us tonight on this episode of STEM Unplugged, Exploring Computer Science. I appreciate both Dave and Chuck for being um, guests on my show. And thank you to my co-host, CSO of the Year, Valentina. If you would like more information, contact us at scitechinstitute.org. This is your host, Kelly Green, and we would be glad to discuss how you can get connected. Thank you for joining us for this episode of STEM Unplugged. We encourage you to get involved in the STEM community and stay connected at scitechinstitute.org.